welcome to the 100th episode of the Bear Marriage Podcast. Yay! Yay! I am Sheila Ray Gregoire from tolovehonorandvacuum.com, and every Thursday, we like to do the Bear Marriage Podcast, where we like to talk about how we can strip away all the stuff from marriage that shouldn't be there and focus on Jesus. But today... It's not Thursday. No, it's not. Oh, <laughs> or, or maybe it's Thursday night by the time this goes live. I don't know. We did actually film the 100th episode all in time. And then when Katie went to edit it, there was some major technical problems with the sound. So we are doing this again. <laughs> We're doing this because we love your ears. Yeah, yes. so half of it worked. Um, something happened with the microphone for the first half, and it was really crackly and tinny. So we're just getting rid of that, and you'll you'll have the, the original second half. That so our found. clothes, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, are just going to go change halfway yeah. <laughs> through this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but we did do the podcast as like a Becca reacts to quite a few things. So we're going to do it as Becca reacts again, but Becca is reacting for the second time. <laughs> yes. Um, so I do already know what's coming this time. Yes. Mm-hmm. But a couple of things, we are so happy that this is the 100th episode. You know, it's funny, when we started the podcast, it was in January of 2019, mm-hmm. and I think the second podcast was about love and respect. It was it was one of the very first ones, at least. Yeah. yeah. And now, I feel like we've come full circle. We're still talking about the same thing, because Focus on the Family hasn't done anything about that yet. Yeah, like, no one has apologized. No one's recanted. It's, it's just... You know, we would love to stop talking about it if you yeah. just do the right thing. And so yeah. we're going to talk about some of that today. That's how we started, and I feel like that's where we still are. But the good news is that in between all of that, we surveyed 20,000 women. Yes, yes, we did. And we wrote a book called The Great Sex Rescue. Yes, mm-hmm. we did. Because if no one else will do anything about it, we at least will do something about it. Exactly. <laughs> and that is our aim, is to help people just have really healthy, amazing sex lives and marriages. Absolutely. Yeah, and get rid of all this baggage that's holding them back. Mm-hmm. So we invited some people to send in, if you wanted some audio or video testimonials, just saying what a difference the podcast makes. And we had a new one today, so this one wasn't even in the original recording. So this will be an Honest Goodness Becca Reacts. Mm-hmm. And Sheila and Joanna react. I didn't even introduce you guys. Hey, I am here with my daughter, Rebecca. Hello. And Joanna Sawatsky, who is our co-author for The Great Sex Rescue. Hi there. <laughs> so <laughs> those of you on YouTube already knew that, but yes. hey. <laughs> okay, so here's one that we did not hear. Hi, my name is Amber. I'm from Los Angeles, California. Hi, Sheila. I'm the one who brought you that chocolate when you came to visit over here a few years back. I remember I swear, it was like meeting a celebrity when I got to meet you and hug you. The experience absolutely made my year. I want to thank you, Sheila. You brought me back to Christ. You've helped me to see God as he is, a truly loving and caring God, a father. This new perspective allowed me to see my husband in a different light and has transformed my marriage in more ways than I could ever thank you. I have learned to love my husband as God loves him. I have learned to see my husband as God sees him. I have a better understanding of who my husband is and how much he loves me. I never thought our sex life was an issue or a problem, and it really wasn't. But it has gotten better over the years. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we're about to be married for 15 years, but a lot of it has to do with the way I see him and love him. And that's all thanks to you and your voice. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, it's, that's lovely. Yeah. And that's really the heart of what we're trying to do, right? I don't think there's anything that we can add to that. Yeah, it was really lovely. Mm-hmm. 
okay. (laughs) (laughs) And that is our goal, you know. I just, I really just want people to see Jesus in the heart Mm -hmm. that he has for marriage and that he wants us all to thrive. Yes. And he wants us all to live amazing big lives. And I feel like so many people are downtrodden, they feel stuck, and I don't want people to be stuck. And I don't want people to be stuck with bad information. And so, with that... I don't even know how else to go into this. It makes Speaking it sound about so bad. bad. Information. <laughs> um, Talking we, about we bad information. Two things yeah. that I wanted to, to just touch on today. And the first was a Twitter thread mm-hmm. that Tim Keller did at the end of March, beginning of April. It started mm-hmm. with a single tweet. Mm-hmm. He said, sexual love, if it's not expressed in an exclusive lifelong covenant relationship, is dehumanizing. Yes. So what he's saying is sex, unless it's in marriage, is dehumanizing. Yeah, by definition. You're not able to have sex that does not dehumanize you unless you are married. And he yeah. got so much pushback. Like, yep. incredible pushback for basically two different reasons. The first was that there's a lot of people who have good humanizing sex before marriage. Mm-hmm. And the second is that just because you're married, it doesn't mean it's humanizing. Yes. And exactly. so he did write a thread where he elaborated a little bit more and he did clarify that. And he did he did say at the end of that thread, and we will put a link to that thread in the podcast uh, description and post that goes along with this, that sex can be dehumanizing in marriage and that we yeah, should be honoring did, each other. He did an mm-hmm. excellent job in his clarifying yes. thread that to say that, you know, Paul's description of the sexual relationship in 1 Corinthians 7 was actually counterculturally egalitarian mm-hmm. in terms of, he actually used that word too, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the mutuality that was expected yeah. mm-hmm. and that, you know, if you're within marriage and sex is not mutual and you're not a consideration that that that's not good, mm-hmm. but he still doubled down this idea that the only way sex can ever happen before marriage is automatically dehumanizing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like until you've got the wedding ring on, if you have sex, you are dehumanizing yourself. Yeah. So here's one tweet, for instance, that he said, again, about the fact that people were, were saying that sex could be really bad within marriage. He said, those who say only consent matters should know where the origins of consent come from and why divorced from a covenant relationship, it leads to exploitation and ultimate dehumanization and that was one of the things I was kind of iffy about was like why are we mad about the origins of consent yeah like consent is important I don't care if it started coming up because of hookup culture like yeah. the idea that hookup culture allowed us to start talking about consent which then therefore allowed us to start talking about marital rape that's a good thing yes I mean think about how many things we have in medical research because of really horrible unethical um, research methodology but now it saves like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lives every yeah. year and it's mm-hmm. some, that's something that bioethicists talk about but similarly like just saying that the origins of of the whole consent movement is bad so therefore we shouldn't Mm -hmm. care about consent which in his follow-up thread he did kind of clarify a bit yeah Yeah. it's still very very complicated so so and this is what we're trying to say is we really need a nuanced conversation about this because this is a hard thing to talk about Mm -hmm. okay we all believe in a biblical sexual ethic and and probably pretty much the same sexual ethic that tim keller does and that we think that sex is really designed for marriage for all kinds of different reasons. That that God does want sex within marriage. That doesn't mean, though, the main component or the main, what's the word? The main reason behind. Yeah, the main reason or the main... Driving force. That's not even Motivation. Whatever. The main uh, criteria. That's the word. The main criteria of whether sex is dehumanizing or not is a wedding ring. The issue that I really have with how the church often talks about, you know, extramarital sex or premarital sex... Uh, I got corrected once by uh, one of our single readers to say extramarital or like 
outside of marriage versus premarital because not mm-hmm. everyone's married. Right. So I was like, right. huh, that's a good point. But with, with those, we, we lump it all into the same category. We're like yeah. hookup culture where you're going to the bar and you're looking for someone to literally hook up with with one night. You may or may not know their name. Mm-hmm. is very, very different than committed relational sex where both of you are like in it for the long haul. And there are studies that show this. Like Mm -hmm. we've seen them where like commitment increases sexual pleasure. It also decreases the negative aspects of, you know, Mm -hmm. sex or the, it's less risky or Mm -hmm. in essence, it's more humanizing. Um, Yeah. So I went to university for microbiology. No lots of atheist scientists. Also no lots of religious scientists, but of my scientist friends, they largely lived together before they were married, which mm-hmm. is normal in mm-hmm. our society today. Yeah. I had actually one friend who still called her partner her boyfriend, which was perfectly fine, but I thought it was kind of funny because they had two kids together and they were just clearly never going to get married. But for all intents and purposes, they were married. They just were living together, boyfriend and girlfriend. They're, I'm sure that they were having very humanizing, lovely sex. <laughs> I didn't think about that, and it's still very awkward to think about my coworker that way. But still, <laughs> yes, no, but exactly. And, and we all we all know people like that. Exactly. I'm sure. You're all thinking of somebody in your life who's living together in a committed relationship. Mm-hmm. They're doing fine. You're happy that they have a great partner. They're mm-hmm. living their life. It's all great. The thing is that I know we really want to have a biblical sexual ethic, mm-hmm. but we shouldn't have to lie. Okay. <laughs> we shouldn't have to lie in order to defend it, right? It is yeah. a lie to call hookup culture sex the same as committed relational sex. Mm-hmm. It is a lie. Yeah, because many people who are cohabiting today really have committed because marriage doesn't have the same meaning outside of the church as it used to. And so in their hearts and their minds, they may see their partner in the same way that we do. Now, I still think marriage is a good thing. Yes. And we should still be able to raise our kids to want to get married and to want to save that part of your life. And to understand the sacredness of sex, Mm -hmm. which even within committed long-term relationships, the sacredness of sex is not always the focus, right? It's about like, are you committed? But sex is not seen as something that is, again, sacred, consecrated, meant to be put aside. And there's all sorts of different reasons why we should wait that aren't. Because if you don't wait, you'll be dehumanizing yourself and others. And if you do wait, you won't. I just know that last weekend, like this weekend, we were getting ready to write our mother-daughter book and we were preparing for the survey. Mm-hmm. Joanne and I were finally going through a lot of those open-ended questions in the GSR original survey, mm-hmm. right? Hundreds and hundreds of incredibly long like stories people left us, which we're so grateful for. But mm-hmm. over and over again, one of the themes that I saw was women who said their biggest regret was that they didn't wait even mere weeks or months until they were married. They've only ever had sex with their now husband. Like in their life trajectory, they've only had one partner. But they gave in like a few weeks before the wedding. And that's their biggest regret because she knows that she ruined sex for herself because of that. You know, or like she has so much shame around sex or why couldn't I have done it right? Because Mm -hmm. we almost have this idea, I think, in the church that unless premarital sex is bad and evil in all of its forms in equal ways, our sexual ethic doesn't work. And I don't think that's the case. No. Mm -hmm. I think you can have a Christian sexual ethic or a biblical sexual ethic and you can figure out what that means exactly for you because there are people who still have different beliefs with that but I think that for us like for me the conversation that I'll have with like my children about waiting is not going to be because if you don't you're going to ruin sex Mm -hmm. or if you don't then the sex you're having is cheapened and bad 
for a lot of those people in the survey, you know, maybe if they gave in four weeks before the wedding day, is that really dehumanizing if they're getting married in four weeks? Like we can talk about Mm -hmm. if it's wise or if it's the right decision, or we can talk about all sorts of areas of nuance, but just automatically saying, well, because you weren't married yet, you're the same as the couple in the bar who are just trying to hook up and would rather not know each other's names is totally, totally abhorrent to me. Because yeah. I think we've caused so much shame and so much baggage to enter marriages needlessly because we're not willing to talk about it in nuanced terms. We have to see it in black and white, dehumanizing or good. Yeah. Okay, time out, time out. Becca mentioned survey. We yes. have a new one. Yes. <laughs> we are writing a book for moms of daughters right now. And so we have a big survey running. So please, 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 if you are a woman who was once a teenager. Many of us are. <laughs> you qualify for our survey. Whether you live in New Zealand or in Nigeria or in St. Louis <laughs> or yeah. in Toronto, wherever you live, whether you are a mom or not, whether you are married or not, whether you're divorced or not, as long as you were a teenager, we would love to have you take the survey. We will put a link in the podcast description for this. Yes. Okay, time back in. You know, here's something interesting about what you just said about the four weeks before. We had a disagreement, the three of us. Mm-hmm. We had a yeah. conflict. This was the biggest fight we had over the survey. Yeah. yeah. So when we were looking at the survey results for Great Sex Rescue, what Joanna said is like... And I was backing Joanna. And back, yes, the, mm-hmm. it was them against me. Yeah. <laughs> they said that they would not run the stats to see if people had better sex if they were virgins on their wedding night. No, nope. Because we there's weren't... nothing you can do about it. Yeah. It's like, okay, if you have communication problems and that's causing you to have worse sex, you could do something. There's, a, there's an action step. Yeah. yeah. But... If you weren't a virgin on your wedding night, and by the way, we defined virgin in the survey. Um, consensual. Consensual sex. Consensual yeah. sex. And we actually, we had virgin in the survey and then we changed it midway through because people were, were asking and um, it's like, oh goodness, that was an oversight. So just want to say, we were defining it as consensual sex. Yeah. Um, yes. But there's nothing you can do about it. And so, yeah. well, so we, Joanne yeah. and I grew up in the culture that told you that if you have sex before you're married, you have ruined everything. So we didn't right. want to contribute to that in any way yeah. because we know there's so much nuance. Okay. So they yeah. said, we won't run it. We won't run it. We won't run it. And I said, okay, okay, okay. But please, there's this one stat I really want to look at. So I convinced them to run if she only has consensual sex with the guy she marries and he only has had consensual sex with her and there's no abuse in their past yeah <laughs> let's see what the difference is between them if they wait till their wedding night or if they don't yeah and the reason we didn't want to include abuse was just because that was a confounding variable, a confounding variable that we didn't want to have to uh, yeah. worry about because what i want to know is does it impact the rates of sexual pain. Because and when we had done all of our focus groups, that's what women told us over and over again, yeah. was that like, you know, they, they waited until the wedding night, they had done a really good job of shutting down all the makeout sessions, and then, you know, they're greeted on their wedding night when they're kind of doing this obligation sex. On yeah, because now you have to do it. You have to do it. Yeah. You're right there. You know, <laughs> well, you really want to, but you're, you're tired, and so your body's not begging for it in the same way, so you just sort of go for it, as opposed to letting the, um, yeah, you know... Exactly. Juices flow. <laughs> oh gosh! <laughs> I mean, yes. I don't think we said that in the first. Time. We no. did not. We are definitely a little bit spicier today. <laughs> but yeah, like like, and, and they wouldn't run any any sexual satisfaction. No, Joanna only ever ran, ran the one yeah, for, for sexual pain. And what we found was that if you wait until the wedding. You are 19%, I believe the number is 19%. Something like that, yeah. More likely to experience sexual pain than if your first sexual encounter was before the wedding. And remember, these are people who, at the end of the day, their story about who they slept with is the same. One person. 
one person. The nope. only question is, did you wait for marriage or not? And our hypothesis, and this is what we've been talking about, is that the first sexual encounter, if it happens before the wedding, was more likely to happen because you've been making out for like eight months. Yes. <laughs> and then one night you watch The Notebook or something equally romantic. And then you and, make out for like six hours. Yeah. And, and then sex kind of happens. So you're aroused, right? Like right. there's a reason. Yeah. For you're it. having sex because your body is screaming for it versus because yeah. time's up. Right. Time's up. Now you have to do it. And that fact, that statistic, doesn't mean our biblical sexual ethic is wrong. It just means that we need to find a new way of talking about this. Yeah, like, and the way we've talked about in the Great Sex Rescue, which, you know, if you're interested in this, and if this has been an issue for you, or if you're getting married and you're kind of worried about this, is we give some ideas about how we need to stop talking about don't have sex until the wedding night. Yeah. Talking about what does it mean to start your sexual journey together? Mm -hmm. Does it need to start with intercourse? Does it need to start day one? Yeah. And how can you set yourself up for success? Because we want sex to be humanizing. Yes. And that means that all of us matter and that our experiences matter and how can we do this well and by the way our honeymoon course does talk about this quite a bit so if you're about to get married you can check out our honeymoon course because it talks about the importance of figuring out the arousal piece yeah and I think that's just what I hope the church can kind of start to understand is that we don't need to rely on half truths and stretches and rhetoric frankly like like it's 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 not true what Mm -hmm. Keller was saying it's the sort of thing like, I save these things so that someday when my kid is in seventh grade, I can have her look for fallacies. Yeah. And that tweet thread is genuinely the sort of thing that I would like to yeah. assign. Because yeah. we want sex in your marriage to be humanizing. And we yeah. know there's a lot of people for whom it's not. And, and we that's want the to other side people. of this. Yeah. Like, when, when we have a 47-point orgasm gap, when he doesn't do enough foreplay, when he doesn't care yeah. about her pleasure, that's not humanizing either. When consent doesn't matter, when marital rape is present, my goodness, that's not humanizing and the fact that none of our evangelical resources really talked about consent definitely is a problem well and we know where Keller's coming from because we also want to protect our kids and our Mm -hmm. friends and our family from in essence the the hookup culture that does seek to use you as a body yeah you know and even if it's pleasurable sex it's not humanizing yeah you know because it's just physical we want to be preserved from that as well so I totally see where Keller was coming from I just think that there's this major blind spot where we're not willing to look look at sex with any nuance because we're just so scared people will start having it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, before we move on to the next thing, we have two more messages of encouragement to share. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. This is Samantha from Northern Indiana. One thing I have learned from the blog and podcast is reframing my ideas on lust and modesty. I am in my early 20s and not married, but you have given me so much hope and have made me realize that not all guys struggle with lust and that there's actually good guys out there. You have helped me reframe my mindset on modesty and the way I view myself, my own body, and the way God has created me to be. So thank you so much for all that you do. It's lovely. I love hearing when, you know, singles or, you know, people who aren't quite married yet are still finding stuff to be helpful because we all know singles are getting the harmful messages. Uh-huh. <laughs> Our survey showed that. Yep. Yeah. The number of people said they had heard things when they were, you know, either in high school or like just in premarital counseling or wherever is pretty astounding. So it's it's always lovely to know we might be able to be making a difference for yeah, you prevention. Know, Thank you. That's exactly it. Prevention is the best intervention, right? It is indeed. Okay. And here's another one. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Hi, this is Sydney from State College, Pennsylvania. I've been listening to your podcast now for a few months 
and have almost listened to every single one. <laughs> Before this, I watched your daughter, Katie, on YouTube while I was uh, in college and a new Christian. Through listening to your podcast, I can see how my previous boyfriend had a big porn addiction and some very negative teachings from Focus on the Family growing up. <laughs> I am so glad not to have that sexual pressure put on me as a possible future wife. I am now two weeks away from marrying a loving, kind man, and I couldn't be happier. Congratulations! <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations. Well, I hope she has a wonderful marriage. It's so great to hear how many people are listening to us before they get married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And also that we're helping people recognize red flags. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's just really great to hear, too. Totally. And it is unfortunate when, you know, like she said, her boyfriend may have been told these things as early as childhood. Right. Um, but that does not mean that it's your job to fix it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of red flags. Yes. Oh, and speaking and of focus, focus on, on the family. family. <laughs> <laughs> um, Funny how often those two are going yes, together these Joanna, days. Joanna, would you like to introduce this? Yes. So we were chatting through the Great Sex Rescue Survey, looking through long-form responses, and a marital rape came up, mm -hmm. as it does in the long-form responses. So I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting to see what Focus on the Family has to say about marital rape? Yes. And so I went into their handy-dandy search bar, and I typed in a marital rape. And one post popped up. I looked at it, and it had nothing to do with marital rape. And so I said, well, that's great, and gave them a zero. But I thought, you know, maybe I should be able to give them a little bit of credit. Mm -hmm. And so I just thought I'd look up rape and then see what would show up. So I did. And I started working my way backwards in time. And all the different posts they had that mentioned rape, and frankly, there were not many, which is already a very big problem if we are an organization called Focus on the Family. Right. But I hit this one from 2010, so this is how old, that's quite old, actually. The fact they haven't updated any of this in, in 11 years is quite problematic. But then I started to read, and I got more and more horrified, and I started gasping, and like genuinely, I started gasping. And we were in the same room. We were on two different computers, and so yeah. she started reading it out loud to me. Yes, and then I, then we said, well, we must show Rebecca, and we must do Rebecca Reacts on the podcast, because it really is that bad. And um, then we did it yesterday, and now we are re-recording it. So yeah, so I have actually already reacted to this. So you're not getting my first reaction. <laughs> like, you'll get the second half of my first yes. reaction. Yes, but, yes. Um, it's yeah. a dramatic reenactment of your reenactment. <laughs> yeah. So this this is a post entitled Q&A, Sexual Misunderstanding from the wife's viewpoint. Yes. So this it's framed as a sexual misunderstanding. Would you like to read the question? Sure. My husband is constantly badgering me to have sex. When I respond that I'm not in the mood, he gets angry and tells me that there are all kinds of things that he does for me when he's not in the mood, like going to work, watching, washing the dishes, helping with the housework. I've tried to explain that it's not the same thing, but either he isn't listening or he doesn't believe me. Is there something wrong with me? What can I do to smooth these troubled waters? Yup. And I, can I just say, as I said yesterday as well, um, I love it whenever we hear guys saying things like, I do dishes, I go to work, I get dressed, I breathe air, I stand up and walk places, and I don't want to do those things. Because that's what he's talking about. He's talking about things that you have to do even if you're single. 
going yeah. to work, washing the dishes, helping with house, helping with housework. If he were single, he'd still have to clean his dirty underwear. Yeah. He would still have to scrub the pot that he made scrambled eggs in, and he would still have to go to work. Right. Yeah. Unless you are living jobless in your mom's basement who does all your laundry for you, and then you get married and expect your wife to do the same thing, mm-hmm. this is not comparable. Yeah. yeah. Because you don't have sex when you are single. Yeah. In general, if you're living, you know, Christian lifestyle, you tend tend not to be right. in a sexual relationship while you don't have a partner. Right. But you do all these things. This is not comfortable. You don't get to say, well, you don't want to have sex with me. Well, I'm just going to stop being a person then. Like, <laughs> this is just being human. Yes. Yes, and exactly. It's, let's just call it as it's very manipulative. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he's now, trying to coerce her. Now, I, I want to say, okay, so here's how it's described. She says, constantly badgering me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then... He gets angry. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he argues with her. So I want you to imagine all the different ways that this could, could play out. Play out. Because it could just simply be someone who's really immature and they pout a lot. They say, come on, come on, like, come on, like, yeah. don't we want to? Or it could be someone who is actually abusive. Yep. Yeah. And, and a lot of times what we found in both this job and in personal life as well is that when women are being abused, they tend to downplay yes. what their abuser is doing. They don't tend to oversell. Yeah. My gut is that this is a case of marital rape, personally. But even if it's not, yep. even if it's not, people who are reading this, who are being raped, yep. who are in a sexually mm-hmm. abusive marriage, will see themselves in her question. Totally. Because mm-hmm. picture if you're in a marriage where not only... Does he yell and berate and constantly badger? But mm-hmm. he'll also threaten to use pornography or he'll threaten to cut off your cash flow. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he even does physically force you or he does things to you when you're asleep when you can't say no. Mm-hmm. Or like those kinds of things. What if your husband also does X, Y, and Z, but you see yourself in this A, B, and C? Right. Right? So we need to recognize that if something is a common red flag for the worst case scenario, you can't talk about it like it's not. Well, this is just a misunderstanding, though. Yes. On, on her viewpoint. And it gets so but much worse, guys. We just want to say that coercion is any time you can't say no without something bad happening. Yeah. So if she can't say no, because otherwise he's going to yell or we've had people say, he won't let me go to sleep. Like, he'll, we'll stay up till two in the morning with him just yelling berating. at me berating yeah. me or, or you get worried because he snaps and mistreats the kids the next yes day. so those things are coercion it may mm-hmm. not look like him physically holding you down yeah but it is coercion and it is it psychologically is you are stuck in a corner and didn't yes. have a choice okay so let's see how they answer this is from focus on the family you're right to suggest that discomfort with sex is very different than discomfort with a job or some other unpleasant but necessary aspect of life This is especially true for women whose feelings about intimacy are subject to the hormonal fluctuations of a monthly cycle and whose general orientation towards sexual stimulation and pleasure is different from that of a man. And I just want to say, I'm really, this is something that, you know, people don't often talk about, about how women are sexually different from men. And I'm glad Focus on the Family is bringing this up. Because this is something we really need to talk about in the church. Mm -hmm. Women are able to have multiple orgasms with no refractory period. Mm -hmm. You know, women are able to orgasm through like, just 
thoughts alone mm -hmm. at a higher rate than men are. From the studies I've seen, scientists are not actually sure what the limit is on how many orgasms a woman can have in a row, by the way. Yeah. So I'm glad that what she's saying is you are incredibly sexual in a way that frankly your husband is physically not. <laughs> um, because he can only have one orgasm at a time. You're yeah. both sexual beings, but there's a there's a limitless aspect to that's what they're obviously gonna be talking about. This is incredible sarcasm for anyone who's listening, by the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Obviously, this is not how the church talks about sex. Right. But whenever they say things like there's hormonal fluctuations and your orientation towards sexual stimulation and pleasure is different, what they're saying is you are a less sexual being yep. than yeah. your husband. Your husband understands sex and you don't because your hormones get in yeah. the way and your preferences get in the way. And yeah. it's just abhorrent and ridiculous. When you think about literally physically how God yeah. made women. Now, this doesn't mean that all women have the same felt need for sex. It just means that our sexual response can is, be even more intense than men's. And we go into this in the Great Sex Rescue, how some people have more of a reactive libido and yep. some people have more of a spontaneous libido. Exactly. And often men have more of a spontaneous libido than women do, but men also can have more responsive yeah. libido. Well, and so, it also, it, so much of this is also cultural. Like, this is yeah, a yeah. very complicated issue. And what we but need we just to stop doing is seeing male stereotypical sexual responses as the standard yep. mm -hmm. and broaden our understanding of what being sexual can look like. But the okay. other thing too is a lot of the time when women are seen as less sexual than their husbands, it's because they're in relationships like this. Well, yeah. yeah. Where you can't just lie back and enjoy 14 orgasms in a row because he's berating you and he's angry at you and he's yelling at you and you can't relax. Yeah. It's not that she's less sexual than him. It's that he's destroyed her sexuality. Yeah. Okay. For a woman... Sex requires a willingness to be vulnerable, transparent, and open to her husband's advances. Note that we are assuming that the husband is the one doing the advances. Okay, sorry. Yes. I'll keep reading. Yes. It involves an ability to trust, an ability which will need special nurturing if she's had a history of child sexual abuse, date rape, or mistreatment by then. If she feels used or if she un feels uncomfortable for any reason with any aspect of the sexual act, she won't be able to relax and enjoy the moment. That's not to mention that a woman's sexual response usually takes more time and is tied to feelings of romance and emotional intimacy. In fact, her arousal cycle can take as long as 30 to 45 minutes to reach completion. If a couple's entire sex act only lasts 10 to 15 minutes, she won't even have a chance to get going. This is a common reason why some women come away from sex feeling cheapened. Excellent. Yep, just genuinely, they did a great job with that. Except I just want to say the first bit. For yes. a woman, sex requires a willingness to be vulnerable, transparent, and open to her husband's advances. That's yeah. that's assuming she's supposed to be open to what he's doing. You don't need to be open to someone berating you. Yeah, no, I meant like after, after that thing that yeah. Joanna corrected. That part, that part made me rather yes. upset. Like when, when yeah. you're talking to a woman who's saying his advances are inappropriate and coercive, you say, well, you have to be vulnerable, sweetie. Yeah, no. that's not the problem. Because she is supremely vulnerable because he's mistreating her. And, yeah. and, and you know, when we aren't vulnerable, when we pull back and get defensive, it's usually a protective mechanism. Yeah. And you may, if she needs to make take that protective mechanism, she shouldn't be berated for protecting herself. She sh we should start saying, why does she need to? And that's the more important issue. Yeah. Okay. Bottom line. If your husband is pushing you into doing things you don't feel inclined to do, he's actually squelching your openness and vulnerability. Good. He is, in effect, destroying your ability to trust and forcing you into a corner where you have no choice except to adopt a defensive attitude. Also good. Also good. That spells death to genuinely meaningful intimacy. Excellent. What you somehow need to make him understand is... Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Keep going. Yep. What you need to make him understand is that it actually is in his best interest to back off a bit 
and wait for you to take the lead. If he can do this, your interest in physical intimacy may revive and the two of you may discover an exciting new sex life together. So let's just look at what she's saying in the first couple sentences. Well, I don't know here. if it's it might be It's by a... focus on the family writer. Yeah. It's not even a name. So if your husband's pushing you into doing things you don't feel inclined to do, so coercing you to cross your own sexual boundaries. And let's be honest here and be very graphic. When mm -hmm. a woman is writing and saying, I'm do she's asking me to do things that I don't want to do, or if a husband is pushing a woman into doing things sexually that she doesn't feel inclined to do, it is very rarely vanilla sex acts. Yes. She says that this husband is squelching her openness and vulnerability and destroying her ability to trust and forcing her into a corner where she feels no choice except to adopt a defensive attitude. Mm -hmm. How does that sound to you? If you had a daughter who came to you and said, he's pushing me into doing things I don't want to do. I feel like I can't be vulnerable or open with him because I don't feel safe. I have to protect myself from this man. Would you think there's probably just a misunderstanding here? Or would you think, holy cow, my daughter's in an abusive relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So regardless of what the letter writer originally is in, she is now describing an abusive relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you are just dealing with immaturity in your marriage, you don't have no choice except defensiveness. You have communication, you have therapy, you have just the ability to say, hey, that was immature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because there's no need to defend yourself against just right. immaturity, right? Because right. that's a very strong word. Yeah. So what they're saying here is that you're being, in essence, abused. Mm -hmm. And it's your job to make him understand that it's in his best interest to back off. Yeah. No, it's not your job. No. no, draw a boundary to keep yourself safe, of course. Mm -hmm. But your job is not to help him understand how to not rape you. Yeah. Your yeah. job is to keep you and any children in the situation safe. Yeah. That is your and, only and job. And the problem is that Focus on the Family didn't even recognize that many readers who would relate to this question would be in a marital rape situation, even mm -hmm. though that's exactly what they're describing. describing yeah. And the fact that they have no articles about marital rape really means that they don't think this is an issue, even though we know that this is a huge issue. Yeah. It's dangerous. It is a dereliction of duty. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they are going to stand before God someday. If I were focused on the family, I would be quaking in my boots if I were allowing vulnerable women to be victimized more easily by what I was teaching. Mm -hmm. And you know, on social media this weekend, I had a bit of a hard weekend because there was a lot of bad stuff there. And I was posting on Facebook and a lot of people said, there's no abuse in my community. Why do you keep talking about this like it's a Christian problem? There's no abuse in my community. Quite frankly, you don't know that. Yeah. And now we're gonna do a quick wardrobe change. <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend, a really good friend, and she got divorced, and I only found out afterwards that she had been being abused. And if you had asked me five years before the divorce if she was being abused, I would have said, of course not, because abuse victims keep it secret. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you are assuming that nobody in your group is being abused, and then you start saying how no one in our group is being abused, they're not going to realize it's abuse. What we need to be doing is speaking up and helping those in our communities recognize the signs of abuse and yeah. recognize the signs of marital rape. Or else if they if they know they're being abused, but everyone else is like, what a happy, wonderful church. Church we are. Mm -hmm. We don't have any abuse. We're so healthy. They don't want to be the ones to burst your bubble. Yeah. No. And so, you know, if you think no one's being abused, you're wrong. Yeah. We know how common abuse is. Your community is not the only one without abuse, okay? No. there You do know people who are being abused. And so let's just speak up for those around us and help people be able to recognize marital rape. Constantly badgering a woman and then getting angry at her if she doesn't have sex is a form of Coercion. It is. And also, frankly, from what we heard from women in our focus groups, those kinds of men are often the ones who also do more physical forms of like 
rape as well. Mm -hmm. If a man feels entitled to badger and then berate you for not having sex with him, Mm -hmm. that is a hop, skip, and a jump to the more, uh, what's the word, like the more in-your-face kind of forms of marital rape, the easier to diagnose, right? The Mm -hmm. actual bruises are left. So focus on the family really should have been talking more. Yeah, because coercion is wrong. Joanna, you want to read the next paragraph? We suggest that you look for a good opportunity to sit down and discuss this issue with your husband, which is going to go great, by the way. Sorry, that that last bit was not in the paragraph, but we just had to insert it because obviously it's going to go terribly. Don't put it off until you're in bed together. Don't wait until he's angry and you're on the defensive. Instead, arrange a time when you can go out to dinner and talk about your feelings openly and honestly. Explain your perspective and listen carefully to what he has to say in reply. You owe it to each other to find a solution to this problem. Let's note, he's not arguing in good faith. He's already proved that he's not going to take this well. She doesn't need to try again. She's already tried. Yeah, I think it's true. It's like, okay, you know, if you're in a situation where... Your husband is, once again, because there are levels of coercion where some of them are abusive and some of them are immaturity, Mm -hmm. and we need to err on the side of abuse, frankly, because Mm -hmm. this is safety we're talking about. We're talking about rape here. Mm -hmm. But even if you're on the side of immaturity or something, you can draw those boundaries, Mm -hmm. you know, totally, but you don't need to do it because you owe it to your husband. Mm -hmm. It's because you deserve to not be mistreated. Mm -hmm. It's because you deserve bodily autonomy still. Yeah. And so what, so you can set a boundary without having to go to dinner and talk to him about it and listening to him. You can just simply say, I am not willing to have sex when you are angry at me. When you are angry at me, I will remove myself from the room or I will ask you to leave the house. Yeah. Or I will no longer feel safe or be willing to have sex with you if when I say no, you pitch a fit. Yeah. That will end our sexual relationship. And you can say that and then you do not have to explain yourself. A great book for that is Boundaries in Marriage Mm -hmm. or How to Act Right When Your Spouse Acts Wrong by Leslie Vernick. The Emotionally Destructive Marriage by Leslie Vernick. There's some wonderful books that can help you work through this. But it is okay just simply to state a boundary. Because remember, this is not a communication issue where like, if I went to Connor and said, I don't like when you do X with Alex and you're not allowed to do that anymore. And then I just left, but it wasn't like an abuse issue. It was just like, I don't like when you feed him Cheerios and then you're never allowed to do that anymore. And then I just said, we're not talking about it. That would be inappropriate Mm -hmm. because he could say, um... Why? (laughs) You know? Um, Or like he might have another reason, right? But this is not a miscommunication issue. This is not a preferences issue. Mm -hmm. This is a personal safety issue. You do not need to rationalize or explain why you needed to be treated well. You don't. You simply say, in order for me to be treated well, this is what I need from you. If you are not willing to do that, here's, in essence, the consequence. I will not have sex with you if when I say no, you treat me like a subpar human being. If you do that, I will not be able to have sex with you anymore because I will not be able to trust you. Now, we just want to say, it's not like we think that sex is not important in a marriage. No. We do. But sex, biblically, is... Not rape. Mutual, (laughs) intimate, pleasurable, where you both matter. And if you want to get a vision of what that looks like, please get the great sex rescue. Mm -hmm. But we we talk about sex as if if she's getting maritally raped, at least they're having sex. So that fixes the marriage, right? Mm -hmm. Like when we say things like sex is necessary for the life force of your marriage. Just, just hold off on that one. Okay. Would you like to read the next paragraph, Joanna? Yes. (laughs) As you go through this process... Bear in mind that the sexual aspect of your marriage is important. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not something you can afford to let go by the wayside. Not if you want to build a relationship that will last a lifetime. As the Bible says, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 1 Corinthians 7, 3-5 So for now, set aside any guilt feelings or unrealistic expectations and simply seek to extend acts of self-sacrificial love, whether in the bedroom or some other context in your marriage. Hopefully, this change in attitude, when combined with a healthy dose of relational communication, will begin to open a whole new avenue of sexual expression. It is not an unrealistic expectation to not be raped. To not be raped in your marriage. Yes. But also, can I just say, I love it whenever people say stuff like this. They always use 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5, mm-hmm. and they never use 1 Corinthians 7, 6. The yeah. very next verse, Paul says, I say this as a concession, not a command. Yeah. You are not commanded to give your body to your husband. Yeah. You are not. Mm-hmm. You are allowed to. He was writing to a culture where people were choosing abstinence even within their marriages. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, guys, lighten up. Go get freaky. Yeah. That's what he's saying. Yeah. He's not saying you have to have sex because you are married now. He literally says, I say this as a concession, not a command. Leaving out verse 6, anyone who leaves out verse 6 and uses verses 3 to 5 to tell you you have to have sex is doing spiritual abuse. Because they are not only taking something out of context in terms of the culture, they are literally leaving out the caveat that Paul puts in there as a protection. Yeah, and we did go through this verse, or these verses extensively in The Great Sex Rescue, but again... This is not saying you need to allow your husband to put his penis into your vagina. No. This is saying that sex, which biblically is not one-sided intercourse, it's something which is mutual, intimate, and pleasurable, is a great part of marriage and should be part of your marriage. Yep. But it is not saying that you must submit to rape. And yet what Focus on the Family is saying is that you must seek to extend acts of self-sacrificial love whether in the bedroom or some other context. How would a rape victim interpret that? Yeah. It's apologetics for rape. I don't see any other way to paint that. No. Genuinely. If anyone ever quotes 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5 at you, don't even engage. Just say 1 Corinthians 7, 6. Mm -hmm. That's all you need to say. Mm -hmm. I do want to say, if we rephrase the beginning of this paragraph Mm -hmm. about rape, because let's talk about it in terms of a rape victim. Mm -hmm. As you go through this process, bear in mind that your husband's right to rape you is important. It's not something you can afford to let go by the wayside. Not if you decide to build a relationship with your rapist that will last a lifetime. Like, that's actually what they're saying. Like, if you read it as a rape victim, keep in mind that allowing your husband to rape you is important in Mm -hmm. your marriage. You cannot let that go by the wayside if you want to have a long-lasting relationship with your rapist. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to understand as a church that... Sex, that women are being cajoled and just berated and guilted and coerced into, should not be a part of the marriage conversation. Yeah. That should immediately say, okay, we're not even in this realm anymore. We're way over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's marriage and sex advice. Then here's what you do if you're being abused. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, or sometimes, like, and sometimes it's abusive, and sometimes there are just genuinely unhealthy patterns, mm-hmm. you know, which are not abusive in nature because there isn't a power struggle. There's no fear. There's no. There's there's none of that 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 over and under power that comes with abusive relationships, right? Where one mm-hmm. person has it and one person mm-hmm. doesn't. Sometimes it's just unhealthy mechanisms. That's not normal marriages. Right. Normal marriages, men are not begging their wives to sleep with them, and women are not praying their husbands don't ask. That's right. not a normal marriage. Yeah. That points that we're not in the realm of normal anymore. But when Focus on the Family writes stuff like this and doesn't read, you know, a husband constantly asking for sex all the time and then getting angry and berating her when she says no, if they don't see that as, ooh, this is not normal, then what's the What problem? the heck yeah. is normal to And them? you know, we started this whole podcast 100 episodes ago <laughs> with, again, Focus on the Family's take on love and respect and... We've kind of come full circle now. The reason that we were looking at this this morning was because as we've been thinking about our surveys, this new survey that we're doing, the one that we did, and we started looking at all the people who told us stories of marital rape, I really want to do what Becca said about talking about healthy sex and marriage. And we find ourselves always up here talking about abuse. And it's because other people aren't doing their job. Yeah. Like if focus on the family would just start doing its job and address abuse properly and stop recommending abusive resources, we could get back to talking about how to have an orgasm. Yes, (laughs) exactly. It's a whole lot more fun. But the problem Um, is that whenever we talk about having an orgasm on like a blog post, we get all these women who comment and we're so glad they comment. We're so glad they found us Mm -hmm. because they say things like, yeah, like I want to have an orgasm, but like my husband, you know, he, in essence, then they just explain with graphic detail the marital rape they go through every single day. And it's like, orgasm is not your problem here, honey. Like you're being abused. But then they read focus on the family and they think I'm not being self-sacrificial enough. I'm letting this part of our marriage go by the wayside. I'm the problem because no one's ever told them, by the way, if sex makes you cry afterwards because you feel so empty and broken, you should probably get out. Yeah. Yeah. You need to get some help. Call a domestic abuse yeah. hotline. Yeah. So we're just simply saying that with the number of women who are victims of marital rape, it is really unconscionable for an organization that's focused on the family to not actually ever address it on their yeah. website. Focus on the family needs to decide if they're going to be focused on the family writ large Mm-hmm. or if they're going to be focused on male entitlement. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to continue with stuff like this article, they need a name change. Yeah. Yep. And so you know what? We focus really, on the father. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We really believe that there can be amazing sex people. There really can be. And it's going to come when we start rejecting a lot of these ideas and just get a picture of what true intimacy is. I think that we did that in The Great Sex Rescue. I think that it is a hopeful book. Mm-hmm. And We definitely did it in the orgasm course as well. Yeah. Like mm. you can get there. You really can. If it's been difficult for you, you can get there. But... We also need to tell the whole story. Whether it's Tim Keller with dehumanization or whether it's ignoring marital rape, like there, there is a whole story. And we're not going to have healthy marriages. We're not going to have healthy sex if we're just trying to get everything to fit into our little box mm-hmm. where any sex in marriage is good and necessary and any sex outside of marriage is bad and terrible. And we need a more nuanced conversation of what really does make great sex. And it's something which is humanizing <laughs> and dignifying and mutual. That's really what I hope on this podcast we're pointing you to. Okay, before we get to the reader question, do you want to listen to one more? Yes, please. Um, Okay, one more thing. Hi, Sheila. This is April from the U.S. I wanted to give a shout out to you and your daughter, Rebecca, 
for all the great work you have done to get rid of the toxic messages that are being taught in the evangelical church. My boyfriend and I have read your blog posts and a lot of your podcasts we've listened to, and we 100% agree with your teaching. Awesome. I love hearing that people are doing it within their relationships before they get married, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's good. Yes, have the conversation about how she should orgasm before you're even married. <laughs> like, I'm actually very pro that. Like, let's get on the same page. Like, hi, are you sexually entitled or are you a good person? <laughs> like, you know, like, let's, totally. let's deal with this. I hope that for a lot of couples who are kind of dating or who, you know, are talking about this before they get married because of our stuff, it's it's also helping people who who may be, you know, on the wrong side of things because, you know, of how they've grown up. Like, maybe they have been raised a sexual entitlement. Maybe they are, frankly, a sexually entitled person. Mm-hmm. It's made them realize before they do things that cement bad habits in their marriage, like, oh, wait, I don't want to bring this into my relationship. Yeah. You know, I really hope that there's a lot of, you know, if, if there are all these girlfriends who are and fiancés who are bringing our stuff to their boyfriends and fiancés, you know, I, I hope that if there were anyone who it could have gone you know, the, the wrong way because it was someone who was still kind of being formed and molded, they decided to go a different path. That's mm-hmm. what I hope anyway. Yeah, which is awesome. So our false teaching of the week is that whether or not sex is good is determined by whether or not you're wearing a wedding ring. And if sex is outside of marriage, it's automatically dehumanizing. And if it's inside of marriage, it's automatically humanizing. And necessary for the relationship. And and, yeah. yeah. And again, you know, you can reject that false teaching. Whether or not sex is good is determined by the wedding ring and still cling to a biblical sexual ethic. Yeah. You really can. It's yeah. just that our reasons for waiting are not about fear and not about judging other people. Yeah. Amen. All right. We're going to go and take a minute and go to Michael John Cusick. Yeah. He's going to answer a reader question for us. And I am thrilled to bring on Michael John Cusick onto the Bear Marriage podcast. Michael is a licensed therapist. He is the author of a book that I really love, Surfing for God, all about understanding, um, what do you call it? Discovering the divine desire beneath sexual struggle. And of all the books that I've read on how to get out of a porn addiction, I just found this one so hopeful and healing. And it focuses on true healing of the woundedness in you and and getting real change going so i just thought that was so great so michael thank you for writing it and thank you for coming on you are welcome you are very welcome it's good to be here so we have a reader question for you it's a little bit of a tricky one and so i'm really curious as to what you're going to say but a woman wrote to me and said okay so my husband is going through a porn addiction he's trying to recover from that but how do i reclaim my sexuality in the middle of all that You're right. That is a tricky one because there's so many different directions. And the first thing I would say is yay for that person asking that question, because uh, it implies reclaiming implies that something has been lost. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if we think about the fall of man and the story in Genesis, from there forward, something's been lost, but life is often comprised of lots of little losses along the way. And for a wife whose husband has a porn or sex addiction, that is not a small loss. It's a major, major loss and every betrayal is significant. So the first thing I would say is, what do you mean by your sexuality? I'm a believer that biblically our sexuality is more than just what we do in the bedroom. It's more than the act of intercourse and it has far more to do with our genitalia than simply those concrete parts of who we are. So our sexuality has to do 
with how we live out the image of God in us uniquely as a woman and as a man. So when in Genesis, God said, the Trinity speaking, let us make man in our image, so male and female, um, a woman can glorify um, and, and, and reveal and make God known in a way that a man can't and vice versa. And our sexuality is how we bring forth the desire, the energy, the passion, the strength that's inside of us uniquely as a man or woman and how that comes up and out of us in a way that generates something. So sexuality in this idea of eros, where we get the word erotic, eros is the Greek word for not sexuality, but for this life force that is generative. And we see that in the sex act as a baby is created, but it can be totally non-physical. So the first thing is, is there something dormant inside of a woman's soul, vitality, effervescence that has died off, that has been dialed down, that she's had to disown because of broken trust, because of lies that she's been told, because of gaslighting, because of being manipulated sexually. And I think that the starting point is who am I as a sexual person, as a woman? And we can't separate our ideas of what it means to be a woman from how that's expressed in the physical realm. The second thing is to really take inventory what has been lost. And as always, this can probably be done at the deepest level with talking to a counselor, a licensed therapist. I think pastoral counselors and spiritual directors and mentors are wonderful, but oftentimes to go to the deeper level for the actual healing, it's important. And along these lines, to take uh, an assessment of what has been lost, the idea of betrayal trauma is that these Breaches of trust and the betrayals through sexual addiction actually cause physiological changes in a woman that has been betrayed. Mm -hmm. And as I think you've talked about in your program before, research suggests that a woman who's been betrayed, she discovers or it's disclosed to her, she can manifest all the same symptoms as if she herself had been sexually assaulted. That is a profoundly sad but real just medical fact. So part of the taking inventory is I've lost my libido. Uh, I've lost the ability to relax and to have an orgasm. I've lost the ability to be in close proximity to my spouse who has betrayed me. Don't want to sit next to them on the couch. When people come to our programs, it's not uncommon for them to be in separate hotel rooms because their nervous system is just so dysregulated. So uh, taking an inventory around what the impact of trust has been. And then I would say in terms of the impact, one of the ones that's sometimes subtle is the issue of shame. And so the woman asks, what's wrong with me? Why am I not enough? Why did you have to go to these images or this other person? And that shame can play out in so many different ways. And shame is the enemy of a sexuality that's free and generative and that can create joy. Shame is also, somebody said, like a raincoat over our soul that repels the living water of love. And oh, so, wow, that, you got to say that again. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that shame is like a raincoat over our soul that repels the living water of Jesus that would establish us as the beloved. That's the full oh. quote. And Andy Comiskey in his book, Strength and Weakness, wrote that, and I quote it in my book. So in this most intimate, vulnerable of relationships with our spouse, where we're sexual, where we're emotionally, spiritually, physically naked, and called to be unashamed, 
there's going to be inevitably shame from the betrayal that comes upon the woman. And if that's not dealt with, then when there's sexual re-engagement, either through the expression of her own sexuality or with her husband, that shame can become a real barrier and, and oftentimes cause real inhibition. Sometimes shame is, I clearly wasn't enough and you went to this other person or this porn movie and therefore now I have to be a porn star. And it's not a real freedom and not a real sense of I'm doing this as an act of love, but I'm doing it really rooted in fear and shame that if I don't do these things, then you'll abandon me or continue to betray me. Finally, and I, honestly, I, wait, that's, that's actually the message that a lot of evangelical books give women. Yes. Be sexier, do more experimental, risky things in the bedroom. And the time to do those things is not in recovery from sexual addiction. Our sexuality is meant to be an overflow out of the substance of who we are. It's mm -hmm. meant to be, not always, because there's a time and a place for quickies and things like that, but it's meant to be an overflow of the emotional connection, of the relational friendship, of the deep knowing, and of a spiritual connection. And so it's the icing on the cake, and it can be very thick, deep layers of, of icing and frosting, and sometimes the cake is just a little tiny cake. <laughs> Having said that, um, those pieces of advice are really harmful because, number one, it glosses over the real issue. And number two, it reinforces the problem. Mm -hmm. It basically says, I'm not enough unless, or I'm not enough until, and then it allows the husband to be in a place of saying, really the problem in our intimacy is that there's not enough supercharge, novelty, and you're not enough to turn me on the way that you are. And then it becomes very one-sided and the sex is not about reciprocity. You know, so much of the evangelical approach about sexuality is that the husband is starving for sex and women don't have sexual desire. And as you've pointed out, you know, lust is every man's battle. And so you've got to kind of appease the dragon, keep, keep feeding him the big chewy bones, and then he's not going to go eat up other people. And that's just utterly wrong on so many levels, but certainly biblical, because the very heart of the Trinity is it's all about reciprocity. There's this word perichoresis, which is the word of the outflowing, the interdependent outflowing that the Father pours into the Son, who pours into the Spirit, who pours into the Father. And with all the giving, there's never a loss, but a gain. And that's how love is meant to be on a human level. Like you pick an apple from a tree and instead of there not being another apple there, you pick the apple and another one appears in its place. Love is meant to be self-generating. And so when there's not a reciprocal self-generating pattern that is talked about, uh, permission given, then it really is very one-sided and sex becomes selfish and it can't be and do for a couple what it was meant to be. Mm. That's so good. I hope that people can get that picture. I love that. What was the Greek word you said again about the? Uh, perichoresis, P-E-R-I-C-H-O-R-E-S-I-S. I flunked the spelling bee in fourth grade That's over okay. the That's okay. My husband does New Testament. <laughs> I'll get him to write it out in the post that goes along with this. But that's a lovely picture. I love that picture of the Trinity and then that picture of us as a couple that that's what we're aiming towards. And so yeah, in that recovery process, that's what we need to be working towards rather than trying to short circuit things. Because, you know, I think a lot of women either try too hard to like appease him or else they they pull back entirely 
But if we try too hard to appease because we're so afraid we're going to lose the relationship, lose sexual, we don't actually gain anything. We just, we just paper over the problem and then the problem is all still there. Yes. And um, wives can act like porn stars and not be connected to their heart. The majority of the time, sex ought to be about being connected to your heart. And that's the gift that is brought within the context of two bodies sharing uh, the gift of sex. Well, that's a beautiful picture. That's a very hopeful picture. I know that that's a lot when you're in the middle of recovery, <laughs> but I hope people can keep that goal in mind and not, not settle for something which is just a papering over. So Michael, tell people where they can find you, where they can find your podcast and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, my ministry website where we do intensive counseling is restoringthesoul.com. And that tells about our programs there where people come to Colorado for uh, one or two weeks at a time for three hours a day. And our podcast is Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick, and it's topics about sexuality and intimacy and spirituality and how people can become whole and free. That's amazing. Well, it's so good to know that there are other people out there talking about this in a healthy way. I've learned so much from you and your book. I, it's, it's changed the way I talk about porn in a lot of ways, and I really appreciate what you're doing. And it's great to be in partnership with you. So thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm so glad to, to know you and for what you're doing as well. Keep up the great work. Michael is amazing. He really is. Yeah, I just love, I, I've actually learned so much from him from his book, Surfing for God, and just about how to rethink porn and its effect on our emotions, really. And I put a lot of quotes from him in our new Good Guys Guide to Great Sex, which is out next year. We, our manuscript is finished now, so that's exciting. He also just, this is totally off topic, but he just came out on Twitter um, announced that he has Asperger's. And I just thought it was really lovely oh, really? to have, yeah, to have someone who's neurodiverse who's talking in this in this area. Yeah, awesome. that's fantastic. Awesome. Okay, one last one before we get to our encouragement. And this one I wanted to say for the end. Um, you guys will know him. Oh, we Phil! <laughs> Phil is, is a frequent commentary. We so appreciate him. We've watched his journey over the last few years. Yeah. And so well, here... he's watched our shoot. I got the most lovely notes from him when I was going through cancer and then a big move. Yeah. It was really encouraging. So we yeah. really are thankful for our readers. Yes. Yeah. So here's Phil. Hey, everybody. Hey, Sheila, Becca, Joanna, Keith, Connor, TLHVT. <laughs> Phil here coming to you from Greensboro, North Carolina, USA, baby. Hey, I've been part of the blog since about fall of 2016, and I originally came here for sex. Hey, surprise, right? Wanted to improve and fix my sex life and my marriage, and while that's certainly a theme around here, I got so much more. Of course, I got help in the sex department. I even got help in the parenting department. I even learned about a bunch, a bunch of board games I never heard of as well. But you know what else I really got? I got the message of Jesus. Hmm. In my opinion, this blog isn't about sex or any topic of that matter, it's it's really just about Jesus. Be like Jesus, and this is how. That's what I learned around here on the blog and the Bear Marriage Podcast. I'm so grateful for everything all you do, and, and you're all part of my life, my daily spiritual depth that I seek. And congratulations to the Bear Marriage Podcast for 100 episodes. Oh. My props, you see my props. My favorite podcast? All of them. Way to go, team. Keep up the great work. And as always, thank you for everything. You guys are awesome. Love you. Take care and see you on the blog. 
That's great. I love he had like streamers and uh, 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 like that, yeah. celebration. Uh, that Katie will have the video. Yeah. yeah, make sure you go check out the video because it's got. Um, oh my goodness, he has total way more props than we do. Oh my goodness, we have zero <laughs> props. Oh. <laughs> Phil showed us up. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. You were the only one who remembered decorations. <laughs> yes, that was awesome. Oh, we so appreciate that. So as we're ending up today, I, I want to give another shout out. If you want to support us, mm-hmm. please, we do have a Patreon. The Patreon mm-hmm. does not pay for this podcast or the blog. Those are self-supporting just from the sale of my courses. Yeah. But we want to be able to pay Joanna to work on getting our surveys and peer-reviewed journals and Rebecca on expanding our social media in areas that I can't monetize. <laughs> and so you can support us for as little as five or eight dollars a month or whatever you want. There's some cool merchandise that we do for, for more. We have unfiltered podcasts where you'll hear us really unfiltered. Yes. And lots more. There's a really active uh, Facebook group. So we will put the link to that too and we would love to have your support for that. And finally, as we're um, just ending up, I do have another encouragement email. Mm-hmm. This one is from a woman who did take our survey this week. Our new survey, please take it. The link, again, mm-hmm. podcast description if you were ever a teenager. Here we go. Um, but here's what she said. I love the survey you put out today. It was actually very therapeutic for me to fill in the comment sections. I've learned so much from you through the Great Sex Rescue and your blogs that have been so helpful for me, my marriage, and my views on topics like submission, gender roles, carrying the mental and emotional load, what sex is supposed to be like, intimate, mutual, pleasurable for both, and the importance of foreplay that I shouldn't feel guilty to ask for. Yes. Amen. (laughs) I could go on and on about how helpful you've been to change my mindset. Thank you for all you do. So that's awesome. Yeah. As I always like to say, I know this is my thing and I'm stuck on it, but the fact that 20,000 women filled out that first survey we did, and it was a long survey. And they shared their really intimate stories with us. And I just so appreciate that. And I'm so grateful that it was therapeutic for her to take this follow-up survey. And I'm grateful that women wanted, that they found it helpful to share their stories with us originally. And now that we're, Rebecca and I have been digging through all the open-ended responses. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, have so much yep. data and so many stories. So thank you for sticking with us for 100 mm-hmm. episodes. My prayer is that for our 200th episode, we will no longer be talking about abuse and marital rape, but we'll instead be talking about you know how orgasms. to or how to prepare people for good marriages, how to find good spouses, how to yeah. have good sex, how to have the better sex. If you're already having good sex, uh, I don't know, let's just level up with the sex game. I don't, like, I have no idea what it would even look like at this point to not talk but, about this so, stuff. So, you know what? Let's have everybody just recognize what bad stuff is, acknowledge that it exists, and deal with it so that we can move on to the healthy stuff. Amen. So, that's our prayer. Thank you for sticking with us, and we will see you again next week on the next Bear Marriage Podcast. <laughs>